Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, this is our weekly Inside Alberta podcast. I'm Don Braid, political columnist with Chris Farco, our business political columnist, and uh, among other things. Um, and we've got a lot of interesting stuff going on. It's almost always interesting these days. There's no very little boredom involved. Um, but right now in Ottawa, one of the most important things of all for Alberta is happening with Senate hearings, Senate committee hearings on Bill C-69, C- uh, which is incredibly important because this bill is widely believed and seen as disastrous for the energy industry. And they're already fighting over one of the very first aspects of it, which is the part about pre-approvals, where pro- the difficulties with projects are supposed to be presented right at the beginning, and it seems that anybody can, can say what they want, and, and the things could get thrown off the rails long before they even start. So that's one thing that's happening. That will go on for weeks and maybe even months because the committee is going to tour, which is a good thing, because this is all on the Senate. The Senate has to get changes made to this, or it will be a genuine disaster. Uh, And then, of course, upcoming uh, soon will be similar hearings on Bill C-48, which is the fake tanker ban imposed by the federal liberals. And I say fake because it is fake, not because fake's a word these days. Fake in the sense that it's not a tanker ban at all. It's basically a ban on shipping Alberta products. You can bring the biggest tanker you want into Kitimat to ship LNG, but if you try to ship propane, butane, bitumen, uh, the tanker can't take it. So it's not a tanker ban. Uh, So all of that's going on. And uh, meanwhile, we have uh, indications of... uh, almost comical Western alienation when you have a poll by the Angus Reid Institute that shows that uh, the most popular political party in Alberta is the Western Canada Party, which does not exist. You could set it up, Don. (laughs) Any of us could do it. It's guaranteed to get some donations (laughs) because this political party, believe it or not, is either tied uh, for the lead or in the lead in all four Western provinces, um, and it doesn't exist. But the point being that people are seem to be in the mood informing the mood that maybe there should be some kind of federal Western protest party like the Reform Party in the old days. It wouldn't at all surprise me. It's not, I don't think it's going to happen before the election. If federal liberals get elected again, I bet you could see something like this. If Scheer gets blown out by the liberals, this could actually happen. Well, in your first topics on the tanker ban and the inability to build pipelines and the uh, 
Bill C-69, I think, feeds all into this sort of sense of grievances, which I think have really been exasperated by the Trans Mountain decision back last year. I think that has got everybody's antenna up. And now the inability for Alberta to get its crew to markets in an efficient and effective manner has led to a fair bit of anger, and that has led to people looking for answers. The question is, why are they not, Don, looking towards the opposition parties, plural, yeah. opposition parties, in, across these various provinces in federally? Well, yeah, and, and this is where things are going to start turning inward to Alberta, because people are going to have to focus on what the UCP says it's going to do, what the NDP is going to do, what the NDP is doing. And, and as we enter this uh, period, it looks like, um, first of all, I think you see a really good sign in the, the economic side with a uh, refining project, but, but also uh, there's issues with curtailment. Some of these companies are really getting annoyed with curtailment. And if that starts to persist and lift in the election period, I think that could be a real election issue problem for Notley. Everybody wanted her to do it. But now some don't, and it could be difficult. What do you think of that, Chris? Well, you're absolutely right that I think opposition is growing. And the reason why opposition is growing from the people who are originally opposed, I might add, which are the refiners, but the opposition is growing because of the unintended consequences. We talked a little bit about this last week, um, but Imperial Oil CEO Rich Kruger said that they've cut their uh, oil shipments uh, by rail in half between uh, December and January, and it's going to go down to zero in February. And in fact, we are starting to see that show up in the data. Uh, one of the companies which collects that data called Genscape said there's been, I think, a 56% drop in oil yeah. by rail shipments in the last three weeks. That's a big deal because what that means is that if the oil is not moving by rail down into, say, the U.S. Midwest or the U.S. Gulf Coast, it's ending up in storage facilities. And that is going to return us to the problem we had before Christmas, too much oil in storage, too much oil being produced, backs up into the system and the differential begins to climb. So we saw yesterday Suncor CEO Steve Williams said, it's time for the Notley government to look for a soft exit on curtailment. In other words, let's start to throttle down on this program and uh, return back to sort of free market economics. This is all becoming a headache. And, and it was Imperial said much the same thing the week before, right? So this is the second one. Now, they're both refiners as well. Absolutely. So they've got a split interest on this. But, but nonetheless, the phenomenon is real. The, the oil's not getting shipped. And, and then you get the oddity of that happening when Notley and their people are arranging the purchase of all kinds of rail cars and they're not <laughs> being used. So it's a, one of those complicated ones that I think that the UCP could use as a kind of incompetence, sign of incompetence, although didn't they want curtailment themselves? They, they so, did, and so did the Alberta yeah. Party. But it's one thing to be in opposition and call for it, yeah. and it's another thing to be the premier and in government and have to carry the freight politically yeah. for making the tough decisions. You know, the one thing that's in undisputable is that the oil in storage has increased, I believe, in the last couple of weeks by 7%. No. And so this you mean is the volume, not the price. No, no, I'm talking the volume, the yeah. amount of oil that's actually stuck in storage, and that is really what this program curtailment, in part, was designed to attack. One is to get the price up. Two is to get the oil storage levels down. Mm -hmm. If the oil storage levels start to climb, that's probably going to bode poorly for the province's curtailment plan. Now, you you see a, a one really good sign in a new project. I think uh, even people who are following this are going to be a little confused about refining and upgrading projects, which the NDP seems to announce a new one uh, right. every week. And and so maybe you could explain to us, first of all, there's one that, that seems really positive, a long time in the making. Maybe you could just 
Tell us what what is actually real about this and what is imaginary. Sure. Well, back in Dece- uh, back in 2016, the Notley government announced that they were going to offer $500 million in royalty tax credits to companies that were prepared to take Alberta petroleum uh, products, in this case propane, and turn them into more value-added products, in this case plastics. So at that time, one of the companies, uh, Interpipe, uh, made an announcement, uh, I guess last year, maybe it was a couple years ago now, to build a project that's worth more than $3 billion to do that. But the bigger project uh, from Pembina Pipelines was a $4.5 billion facility, which will turn propane into polypropylene, basically plastic pellets, which, which can be moved by rail. They announced that after a very long time of consideration, they've made a final investment decision. They are going ahead with this $4.5 billion project. Uh, it's a big deal. It's going to take 23,000 barrels per day of propane and turn it into, I believe it is 550,000 tons of polypropylene annually. This will be the largest uh, such facility in North America. It'll be only the second one here in Canada. Um, so I think there's some good news there. But it gets into an interesting question, which is, should the government in the first place be in the business of offering incentives to get this built? You know, you've got economists who say this is not the most efficient and effective use of public money, that it's, you know, that there's no free lunch here, that if you're spending money on this, $500 million on this, it's $500 million that might not be spent on other public services. But, but doesn't it, uh, you know, one of the other things is it does what Alberta's want to do all these years, that to get something you can, you're guaranteed to be able to sell, uh, you know, because I understand it's largely plastic pellets and they're used for just about everything uh, or clothes, everything in, in right. life. And, and there's no ecological problem with shipping these darn things. And, and it is part of the, the dream that's been going on ever since Peter Lyde's day. To, but it's a very delicate balance and it can lead to projects that fail quite spectacularly, does it not? So my question is, have, haven't we got enough of this stuff? Like I think you told me earlier that there's something like $8 billion in these projects because there are two now. Right. Um, and, and it, but how much more do we need? The NDP seems to be saying it's just going to be a refining belt. We're going to be a refining capital of North America. Maybe it's too much? Maybe it's a little risky? Well, they're preparing to spend even more money. They've got another $2.1 billion set aside for various energy diversification projects, which would include, you know, ethane or methane projects, uh, you know, natural gas infrastructure. They believe that there's a big opportunity here. And in some ways there is, and it's, and it's a bit odd to think about it this way, but we have obviously these problems with pipelines, both for oil and natural gas and getting our product out. One of the byproducts of that is we got really low prices for our product. (laughs) But that's really good for the petrochemical industry because it means that they have a large volume of very cheap feedstock. It gives them a competitive advantage versus companies that want to build, say, down in the the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, or in other parts of the world got lots of natural gas, a natural, lot of natural gas liquids that they can access. So we are sort of taking advantage of the disadvantage that has been dealt us by these mm-hmm. pipeline problems. The issue is how much is too much and how much money do you want to spend of the public money? And as you point out, we've had some examples of the taxpayers losing a lot of money on some of these public energy projects in the past. You know, you don't have to go back that far to think of the bi-provincial upgrader and how much money that the province of Alberta lost back then. Well, everything is political now. It's all going to play into election, all of these issues. Um, and uh, the, the big question today is still when is the election going to be? So let me try to reboot our election poll to see if pool, to see if uh, you're willing to participate. What 
when do you think the election is going to be? I'm not going to ask you who's going to win this time, okay? <laughs> when do you think the election is going to be? I'm not really sure, Don. <laughs> I, I've learned a long time ago that polls are almost always wrong. I am almost always wrong. So I will leave this to you, somebody who studies this in great detail, like reading the, the tea leaves uh, on what is going to happen. Well, I've learned almost nothing from all those things you mentioned, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I think the election will be held 28 days after the 19th of uh, of March, because on the 18th, the government's going to have a throne speech. Uh, one thing they can do if they don't want to have a budget is go to the lieutenant governor the next day, drop the writ, and the election would then be 28 days following, which I think you said would be the 16th April, of April, the 16th, yes. Tuesday the 16th of April. So mark that in your books, folks, and if it doesn't come true, just forget I ever said it. That's Inside Alberta for this week. Chris, we'll talk to you next week.